Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I talk to Neil Renison of Tin Man Games about their VR board game, Table of Tales, The Crooked Crown. Before we delve into that, let's see what else is under Kane and Ritz's umbrella. Every Monday, there's, of course, Kane and Ritz, which this week focuses on Doom, the 2016 game, not the one from 1992. Then on Wednesday, we have Sound of Play, where they celebrate... The scores of video games, not the ratings of them, but the musical scores. Then we have Playwright, two people called Ryan and Ryan, invent games based on the ideas thrown at them by their listenership. If you want to know more about Kane and Rince, pop along to kaneandrince.com where you will read features, reviews, archives of previous episodes of podcasts, and a lively forum. So yeah, pop along to their... And you can find out more about what Kane and Rince do. We also have a Twitch channel. So if you just go to twitch.tv and look up Kane and Rince, you'll see us there. Please follow. And if you really want to, to help us out, you can subscribe. That'd be awesome. There's currently two shows uh, uh, airing regularly on the channel. There's um, HMS Kane and Rince, where myself and Dara Gargett sail the seven seas. Well, probably not the seven seas, the Caribbean an approximation of the Caribbean in Sea of Thieves looking for content and generally failing but it's still fun so do check us out every Thursday at 9pm British summertime or Greenwich Mean Time depending on what time of year it is then on Sundays I actually stream a random game from a random platform at 8pm BST at Stoke GMT on Sundays for about an hour or so so yeah do check that out Finally, if you want to throw us some coinage, you're welcome to do so. You can actually subscribe to our Patreon for a minimum of one US dollar a month. You'll not only get our eternal gratitude, but also additional content. That's right. You have podcasts that are unique or exclusive to those who subscribe to the Patreon, as well as extended editions of Cane and Rinse, and you get them one week earlier than everyone else. Also, we have these platform exclusive podcasts the so far we've done playstation game boy and they're those are currently out for the public listening ship listening ship listening um but uh the last one the latest one is about the xbox the original xbox and that's not out yet for the public you have to, in order to listen to that you have to pay a subscription or be a subscriber so if you want to hear more uh, other other content that uh, we, we we develop and for, for your listening pleasure then please do chuck us a coin but enough about that. Let's move on to the main event. Past me, take it away, Neil. Hello. Who are How you? you? Doing? Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> Who are you? What do you do? Um, uh, uh, my name is Neil Renison. I uh, am the founder and creative director of Tin Man Games, and more recently have started a new gig called Steel Sky Productions. Ooh, that's me. Okay. Yes. Um, and normally at this point, listeners will know. I will now ask Neil how did he make you start making video games. However, this is a return. <laughs> Neil is a return guest. In fact, I am. yes, yeah, second uh, show in a row we've had a return guest because last week we had um, uh, Joseph Humphrey from Inkle on. Uh, about heaven. Oh, I love those Inkle guys. They're the best. <laughs> They're the best, aren't they? So they I'm, are. I'm, I, I bumped into them recently in the GDC in San Francisco, and they're lovely. I, I love them and hate them at the same time. <laughs> yes. Because they're, they're just bloody amazing and talented. And, yeah. Uh, yeah we have a kind of a bit of a rivalry going on, which is kind of fun. Of course, because they did sorcery, didn't they? Uh, they did. Yeah. They did, yeah. And then went off and did 80 Days, and now they've done Heaven's Vault, so they've completely got off into your their own realm yes. uh, but they love language uh, but anyway so 
Uh, Neil was on episode 29 of the Sausage Factory back in August 2014. So if you want to yeah. know how he made you start making video games, listen <laughs> to that, because it hasn't changed. He's still well, it might have done. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> my, my memory's a little dimmer in five years. Like, you know. <laughs> the, 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 yeah, the also, um, how he remembered getting in, like, let's get into the video game uh, industry, was uh, probably changed. Like, oh, yeah, that's what I did. I didn't do the thing. Oh, I forgot that bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, go and check that out. It's great if you want to find, find out. So, because... Um, I'm going to move on to the next question, really. is um, So this is a nebulous question, and I'm going to ask it again because I think it's really relevant now to pair, compared to how I asked it back in 2014. What do you believe is the Your Studio's biggest influences as a creative force? Our biggest influences? Oh, my gosh. Um... It's oh, it's a whole host of things. I think, look, the DNA of the company. Look, we've been going. Tin Man Games has been going for ten years now. We celebrated our ten-year anniversary, and the DNA is definitely sort of pen and paper RPG slash um, choose your own adventure fantasy RPG game books. That's the DNA of where we come from. It's kind of uh, it's it's uh, sword and sorcery adventuring, killing goblins and looting treasure and all that kind of thing. Um, so, so yeah, and we haven't really changed from that. I mean, you know, we're going to talk about Table Tales in a minute. And, like, you know, all the games that we've done all sort of, like, all stem from the same place, which is probably kind of D&D, you know. It's that, it's that, it's the fighting fantasy books. It's all those things. So, and I think they still remain, you know, the great, great influences. Now, I th- I, the only thing I'd say probably that differs slightly from maybe five years ago is that we're we're now more moving towards a board game space. So... We have lots of other influences now um, that we have. We play a lot more board games than we ever did um, because we're making them digitally. So, so yeah, so that's that's probably my answer to that one. Yeah, that's great. And uh, the whole, you know, industry of board games has risen up over the last ten years. Someone asked me, you know, what was your favourite board game from ten years ago? And I had to take a double step. Like, what was I playing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I, mean, I, sort of, I listed all the games that have been playing for 10 years and one of them is still my favourite is Chaos in the Old World um, oh yeah that's a really really good asymmetric board game by Eric Lang um, <laughs> which sadly is out of print because Games Workshop had a bit of a tiff with Fantasy Flight uh, for, for reasons uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bit of a bit of a falling out there kind of sudden <laughs> like yeah. why, why are you encroaching on our market but anyway that's something you I don't get involved in any of those no, things. No, no, no. No comment. No comment. No comment. Considering we're about to talk about it in a moment. But um, I'm going to ask you this question because I think it's valid now, just as it was back five years ago. So I'm going to ask you this again, if I may. Yeah. Uh, what yeah, developer yeah. do you most admire in the industry and why? Oh, my gosh. Right That's now. a really hard question. <laughs> what developer do I most admire? Personally, person, or it could be a company, or both. I don't oh. mind, and it could be more than one. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I tell you, I tell you who I admire. We just talked about them, bloody Inkle Studios. Yeah, um, like love to hate them. Uh, talented bunch. We kind of popped up at a similar time, and um, we. I like to think, and I, I think they'd agree with me too, that we're being quite good for each other. In that, um, because we've been hovering around in similar spaces. Uh, we've kind of pushed each other because we've seen what each other's been up to and uh, that's forced us to go into new areas and do that. And, and actually what's happened is both studios have gone in completely different directions coming from similar sources. Um, I can tell you right now when they released Sorcery, I was both uh, both uh, very excited and extremely gutted at the same time <laughs> because it was amazing. And they basically, had, you know, they'd taken the, the, the fight and fantasy game book formula, which we'd been doing for a few years in a kind of more traditional sort of ebook app with dice rolling. And they turned it into this kind of weird pen and paper uh, tabletop thing that was still the game book, but it kind of had this weird, well, beautiful aesthetic that, that made it feel kind of like Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and I thought, oh my God, this is a game changer. And it was that that, that kind of forced our hand to, to move forward with the Warlock of Firetop Mountain, uh, the 3D version of that. Um, 
And that was like when I think back to it now, that was one of the most important moments for Tin Man Games is when we made the transition from mobile ebook apps to kind of a PC 3D games um, because that has led us inevitably onto Table of Tales and, and other titles, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a little while. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that Inkle single-handedly pushed us in that direction, but they, I would definitely say they were a major factor in the, oh my gosh, we need to check. We, we'd become a bit stale with what we were doing and we needed to change it up a little bit. And they certainly helped that. So, so you know what? I'm going to go with uh, Joe and John uh, Inkle. Long may they reign. <laughs> Yeah, um, fantastic response. And uh, you're right. I think one. I never forget sitting there at PAX East 2013. It was, and I was sitting there with John and and, and Joe. Uh, they didn't even have. A, they didn't even have a booth there. They were just <laughs> taking interviews and stuff. And I was sitting there with the iPad, with this sort of very sketchy version of sorcery, watching this little figure going from one pivot point to the other. And going, well, you can go left or right, rather than saying you can go page such and such, page such and such. Like, we can actually go left or right. Like, hmm, I will go mm. left. And uh, seeing a little, little figurine across the map there, you're right. Uh, you're still ultimately doing the same stuff, although Sorcery is a much more complicated fighting fantasy game and it has um, spells and other sort of sub aspects to it. It's a much more in, you know, um, broader um, book. Um, but uh, it's yeah, it was still modelling the same thing, just presenting it in a very more tactile way. So, yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. definitely. It's a, it's a wonderful piece of kit. It was so uh, penultimate question of the first half, because normally we would sort of cut off at this point, but we've got a follow up question afterwards. Is um, what are you playing right now, Neil? What is it? What's distracting you from your day to day? Um, what's, what am I playing right now? Um, I'm actually playing, uh, uh I, I like messing around with old emulated games. I'm playing okay. a lot of, I, I, I love, um, playing old Spectrum and Commodore 64 and Amstrad CPC games and a few Amiga games. Um, so I've actually been delving into a lot of that over the last few months. It's been rather fun. Right. I, I had a friend of, I've got a friend of mine who works in the UK called Elton Bird, um, uprising games and he coded up uh, a remake of um um kung fu master because the original spectrum version of kung fu master wasn't a very good port way back when and uh, right. he, he's redone it it's called mr kung fu and it's really really good <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I'm, I'm pitching that for him um so you know i've been so i've been doing a little bit of that but the other thing i've been playing a fair bit of recently is um Oh, I'm a bit of a sucker for football manager games and things. And um, there's a game called New Star Soccer, which I got into a few years ago. Um, and I really love the developers. And I actually met them at GDC a few weeks ago. Um, and they said, oh, we've just announced our soccer manager version of New Star Soccer. And so, yeah, I went and downloaded that. And, oh, gosh, yeah, I've got sucked into that as well. So so I've been playing a bit of that. I'm it's a bit boring. Sorry. No, no, no. It's, uh, just, um, for me, Kung Fu Master, I remember playing on the Amstrad uh, all yep. those years ago. And it's a very colourful version of Kung Fu Master, but still very terrible. Uh, and I do remember fighting off these little green goblin things that would appear on the bottom of the screen. And they were you know, quite, you know, well-defined little sprites, but it was just a... The game was so unresponsive that it was not impossible to actually defeat them because you had to kick them and just and the collision detection it wasn't a big you know it didn't really have collision detection back in those days so um, well it did but it was very rudimentary uh, and if you didn't get it precisely right you would you know fail and it was horrible so I remember that um, well I think you still had the better version than the the Spectrum version was terrible right right it, I, it was a real disappointment. So. I suspect in hierarchy it was probably C64, Amstrad, and trailing last was, was Spectrum on that one. But I must say the the, the remake that, that Kelton's done is by far the best one now. It Excellent. feels like the arcade game. It's brilliant. It's wow. Really wow. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Mr. Comfort. Please do. Uh, and, as, and as regards to Football Manager stuff, you and I know ultimately you're looking at a spreadsheet. That's okay. 
I know, but that's what I do in my job now. Yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, to, I'd, yeah. Rather, I'd, I'd rather look at columns with, you know, football stats than tax codes. Tax which codes. I have looked and then, then profit margins, and then which don't exist because it's all in red. Well, no, we make yeah. games, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the last question of the first half, which I know is a bit strange, everyone, because normally we would have, would have moved on at this point, but... Um, Tim Man Games made a bit of an announcement very recently, at the time of recording anyway. Um, Warhammer Underworld Online. Tell us what this is. I know what it is when I first saw the uh, graphics. I went, oh, wait, they've made Shadespire, and he visited the digital version. But uh, tell us, what, what, what to, to the uninitiated, what, what, what's happened. Well, tell us what you can tell us. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, what can I tell you? So it isn't a Tim Man Games game. Right. We're As a studio, we're actually working... Um, with the other another entity, which is uh, one that I'm involved in as well, called Steel Sky Productions. Um, so it's essentially a Steel Sky Productions um, title. Right. However, lots of the team that uh, worked on um, have worked with me for years, and have more recently worked on like the Warlock Fight Up Mountain and Table of Tales, which we're going to chat about. Um, are involved in this, so there's a fair bit of uh, tabletop uh, sort of digital pedigree there. Um, so basically, what is it? Um, ha. So if you know the game Warhammer Underworlds, um, uh, they, they had a couple of box sets that came out a few years ago, Shade Spire and Night Vault. Um, we uh, basically, are during development of Table of Tales, uh, saw that Shade Spire was about to be released. Um, and, you know, I made a few inquiries. We'd actually worked with Games Workshop in the past on a uh, game book, uh, revisioning called uh, Herald of Oblivion, which was kind of a Warhammer 40,000 game book, which was written by Jonathan Green. And we did like a digital kind of game book, first person combat simulator thing, which was kind of good fun. So um, I'd already had some contacts with Games Workshop. So we just got in touch and I showed our interest, expressed our interest in Table of Tales, um, you know, uh, is, a, is a party based, uh, turn based uh, sort of a tabletop RPG kind of system and you know Underworlds is the same and in Table Tales we have cards and in you know Warhammer Underworlds we also so there was lots of similarities um and yeah we pitched it and we you know thankfully we, we were able to to sign the deal up with Games Workshop so yeah we've been working on that for uh, a number of months and it got announced just on Friday so it's very very exciting we yeah. don't have a discord server full of people that are very excited that's fantastic um, yeah i like shadespire i do have seven or was it eight i can't, I can't remember uh, i have to I have to check of the races um oh yeah and, yeah, yeah uh, cool. it's it's uh, i also got both i've got two sets of like four player sort of uh, it's just fun it's a good game it's uh very tightly designed um the game the design of um, board games has improved significantly over recent years at games workshop i'm not sure what's happened but they've they've you know they brought back blood bowl for example no one saw mm. that coming um and uh yeah it's they, they definitely have a significant change of uh tack for reasons i don't know i don't want to delve into i've always thought their miniatures were the best, even though they're ridiculously expensive, there's a reason for that. Their mouldings and the technology they've been doing for for decades, uh, mm. they really, really know their stuff. I don't know of any other miniature people who can really come close to them, and they they make it so that the detail of them is so great that the painting of them is actually quite straightforward. Uh, you, you, <laughs> you you do a couple of base coats and then you do a dry brush, and there you go. There's about sixty yep. seventy percent of your detail. It's like, huh? Yeah, there it is. It's all, it's all out there. It's just all popping out from the model because it's so well formed. So anyway, yeah. yes, that's yeah. my it's my it's my take on it. I, <laughs> I, I and a lot of people can't paint. That's fine. I get that, but I I'm fortunate to say that I can, and I find it very therapeutic. But yeah, I'm very excited to because um, you know the thing about board games is they're somewhat messy, and we're going to talk about that during Table of Tales now in the second half, where we indeed delve deep into Table of Tales, the Crooked Crown. So, Neil. Hello. Tell us what is 
Table of Tales, The Crooked Crown. What is Table of Tales, The Crooked Crown? I think the best way to sell Table of Tales, The Crooked Crown for people that haven't got a clue what it is, is the original pitch that I made to Sony uh, about three years ago. Um, And that was what would happen if you took the board game Jumanji or the film Jumanji, mixed it with Dungeons and Dragons and you threw it into virtual reality. And I think that says it all. Um, It is a virtual reality based tabletop RPG single player um, board game experience. Um, The Table of Tales is basically about a table that comes to life. So you have been, uh, you start the game, you put your headset on and you find yourself in an attic and it's your aunt's attic and your aunt has sadly passed away, but she's left you a table and there's a note on the table that asks, that, that explains that she's left you this table and there's a key on the table and it asks you to put the key in the table. And on placing the key of the table, the table comes to life in the form of a mechanical talking bird called Arbitrix. And Arbitrix is essentially, she is your games master. She she is the soul of the table. It's her table. It's her game. And she invites you to play. Um, and after Arbitrix has come to life and explains very briefly uh, who she is, suddenly the actual tabletop surface, you suddenly realize, isn't just a sheet of wood. It's actually made up of lots of small square pieces of wood. And immediately they all fall away. Uh, The next strange thing that happens is that the table suddenly starts filling up with water, um, like you'd fill up a bath um, from an unknown source. And as the water fills up the top of the table, suddenly from out of the water comes a giant sailing ship and that just plonks in front of you. And on the sailing ship is some figurines. And the sailing ship is your board. It's got little squares on it to move your figurines around. And obviously the figurines are your adventuring party. And so your adventure begins. And that's the that's the basic sell, I guess, of the, of the game. Yeah, I'm just going to expand a little bit more on it so listeners can understand a little bit more about it. And also my own personal experience with it. It's, it's a bit like, try to imagine you playing Dungeons and & Dragons and a DM has gone just a little bit... You know, that gone over the you know what's expected of them with regards to maps and figures and what have you. You know, you see those pictures on Facebook where people said, "Here's our map of uh, this great city," and it's like built sort of like buildings, and they've got it's just this extraordinary landscape. And you go, "Wow," you know. Um, for <laughs> me, which is quite interesting because for me. Dungeons and Dragons, I actually do a lot of theatre of the mind stuff when it comes to combat, so I typically don't have a map in front of me. So I'm when I'm, <laughs> when I'm running games, so I'm normally like, it's in your head, it's in your head. Uh, and uh, was this, this is an extraordinary, it's just like, it, it is like as if someone took the greatest sort of set of map tiles and, t- and turned them into something even better. Uh, and uh, that's. For me, that's what Table of Tales Crown is. It's this this amazing set of Hero Quest. <laughs> yeah, that as like there you go. If this is what it was like in your head, you know, you, if if it was a dungeon, it would be all flat, and you may have some doors if you're lucky to indicate you know exits, but generally it's all flat. Whereas here, you've come along and said, "No, do that. Let's just." Basically, take the medium because that's what Tim Man Games and has been doing for, uh, as you say, a decade now, of taking a medium or an ex- experience and saying, "Well, actually, video games can do all these crazy things." And I like to see it as like these the Zen Studios school of pinball, in that you know pinball's fun, but if you hey, you can have a spaceship flying across your face, which you can't <laughs> in real life, but in video games you can. And that's what you've done. You, you sort of that delicate sort of balance between the board game experience and then enhancing it by saying, "This is a video game. We can get away with some weird stuff because it's mm. a, you know you're in this digital realm, uh, and which takes away a lot of the mess and the clutter. Even though you actually add some of the clutter as well. For, for example, the letter is just lying on top of the key. 
Yeah, in of order, course. In order to get the key, you, know, you couldn't. You have to like pick up the letter with you know with your move control. But well, this is on PlayStation VR. You just pick up the letter and you toss it aside, or you just, I didn't toss it aside. I carefully moved it to the side because it was my letter from from my aunt, and uh, there was the key lying there, and there was the, there was the lock. I went, oh okay, let's just pick up the key and and lock it in and opens it up and like I said it it creates this extraordinary animation and it's like I say you are in this lovely little attic room and one of the things I love doing with uh, VR is always look behind me see what's going on yeah well we sorted that out for you what have you done there (laughs) what have you done oh okay um, because for, for me, I never forget playing X-Wing, the X-Wing sort of demo thing that uh, EA did. And, uh, you know, that was what lovely to sort of look behind you and look at look at the, uh, you know, uh, the R2 unit sort of doing his thing. Uh, yeah. And uh, that, that's all important, you know. And, um, yeah, I just like doing that with VR. It makes no difference because, you know, you, the experience is you are in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a virtual reality or a place someone's put your because you, you, you can't see anything other than this, than you know, the one that was presented to you, which is one of the one of the things that appeals to many people when they're playing VR, but it's also quite disconcerting as well. So, you know, you've definitely made a very safe space for which to play this game in. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, the, it, it, you know... It, we wanted to capture that vibe of the never-ending story, you know, when Bastion, he's, he's up in that, that yeah. you know, attic space and he's reading his book and he's on this adventure that's taking part in this other world. And it's the same kind of thing we, you know, we wanted the ambience. We wanted you to be actually captivated by the table and feel like nothing, you know, nothing was going to happen to you. You're in this, this zone and you're, you're, you know, with Arbitrix. So. Yeah. Um, going back to the table itself and, and you know, you know, we are here, it's literally, you know, when, you, when you're playing D&D and you sort of play with graph paper and draw your dungeons and stuff, we're just, we, we're, we're taking that and we're just turning it into three dimensions and we're letting the table do the heavy lifting for you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the table is basically building every environment for you to, to venture into uh, and doing it in a, in a way that has a little bit of panache, I like to think, you know, yeah. as the transitions from one scene to another take place, they don't just fade in and fade out. We actually had it, so the table's actually constructing all the pieces it's, it, it's yeah. It's a rather than a session of Gloomhaven with you spending I don't know maybe forty five minutes just setting up just this one encounter, you know. And uh, it's like okay, off we go then. So well, that's the beauty of um, I think that's the beauty of digital yeah tabletop and RPGs for the future is that one of the things that we can do is that we can we can take away that kind of that time sync part, um, you know, and actually, you know, be able to build things up in front of you very quickly, yeah. Um, yeah. which I think is, is, is really important. I mean, I, did, I have to say, I did get a big Gloomhaven feeling when playing Table of Tales. I really was like, oh, yeah, this reminds me a lot, especially the card play. Um, oh, yeah, cool. Yeah, but Gloomhaven has a very unique system for cards, which, you know... Uh, Still, the interaction between the cards and the figures. Yeah, so, well, that was um, yeah. a really important uh, design move, actually, because originally, because obviously in, in, in VR, you don't have a UI, so you don't you can't click on a, on a uh, attack button and then move your mouse pointer over the creature that you want to attack. You know, in VR, you don't have that UI, so we had to come up with a system, and it, we already had cards that we were looking to have in there. Um, and it very quickly just became, well, the cards become the UI, so actually picking up a card and hovering that card over the character that you want to interact with makes absolute sense, and it becomes very intuitive very quickly. Um, and you know, and that was it, yeah, that was a really important moment in the development of the game. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, because the stats and all the creatures and stuff, all these little cards, and uh, but it sort of leads me on to the first design question I have for you for on Table of Tales. Tactical play is preeminent in Table of Tales of Crooked Ground. Mm. Uh, combination of actors, uh, actions are also very powerful. Or mm. Feed into that. How do you believe the game communicates this to the player, if at all? Um, how do I believe it communicates it to the player? I think basically we, we came up with a set of rules um, in the... You very quickly... 
learn what you can and you can't do. I mean, there are limits, right? It's yeah, you can't, you can't just go anywhere and do anything. So one of the first things that you learn is that you can uh, move your miniature a number of spaces. We have little footprints on the on the the blocks, mm-hmm. and then beyond that point. Um, they start using the power pips. So there's these little power pips around the base of the miniatures. Yeah. And as soon as the uh, as soon as you go over the allotted movement, they start to use up power pips. And then you notice there's power pips on the cards. So they're action points. So every time you play a card, you're using up your power pips. So um, you learn that rule very quickly. And then as you start to use some of the different abilities from the different characters, and you realize that some are ranged and some are close up, and you realize that some... Uh, abilities like there's a good ability where you can swap places with another character so you can tactically you know move a monster closer to another character while still attacking that character you know all these sort of little rules they start to build up and build up and i think as a player you can then start to make really informed decisions like i think once you've been playing it for a little while when a soon a scene appears and you look at the lay of the land and you know your character's abilities you can already start tactically deciding what order you're going to do things in uh, and make some key decisions and one of the key things we always wanted to do is not make it too complicated the game is actually um like it's 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 what i call light rpg like it's not we haven't got tons of abilities and tons of this and tons of that um there's quite a lot in there but it's it's you know it's far from actual a full-scale player's handbook in D D. Um, and the reason for that is is that when you're in VR, VR is quite a tiring experience just being in VR. Um, and so we wanted to, you know, uh, make, make take make sure that the experience wasn't too tiring and taxing because it's very easy to overcomplicate things. Um, so hopefully we've achieved that. And I think we have actually just from the, a lot of the feedback we've had from people that have played it. Um, uh, but they like the, the simplicity, but yet they also like the depth the long-term depth of once once they understand the system so yeah it's um just like i just love the fact that you've got these lovely combo actions you can have the uh support player support sort of uh, characters really enhancing the combat abilities of the front line or the dps should we say um just the ones that cause damage it's wonderful to see it's so so realized and so so clear rather than buried under stat after combat after after you know you get so buried in the actual mechanics you don't understand what you're trying to achieve uh and that's a, yeah yeah and that's a game that a lot of the more complicated rpgs for example i'm looking at you starfinder uh uh peso yeah you're an interesting group but you just love your crunch uh, and uh, it can be difficult for people to actually see the wood for the trees yeah and if you, yeah. you can't have that in vr either i mean no, like the, no. Because, like I said, VR is quite tiring, um, you know, to spend a lot of time in there. So uh, you don't want to be constantly having to, you know, overthink things. Second question, and the cards, you've mentioned them already, but let's talk about them. Uh, They grant Hmm. specific abilities to each character that you're interacting with on the player board. Um, How have these been designed? What What have you been doing? to actually create each one. I found, I mean, there's a standard one called Rest, which actually basically mm. places a, a character in defense. But what have you done to, well, take us through the, the methodology about which you can create, <laughs> design these. Two. So the, 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 the cards and the combat and the, the skill checks and all that lot have actually been through a bit of a time. When we first designed the early prototype of the game, there was uh, some uh, there was some different abilities. There was a special move, uh, an attack, and a defense, and they had different colored dice attached to them. So there would be different. So you'd have this. We had the, we used to have this dice dispenser attached onto the side of the table, which was kind of like a a fruit machine, and you'd pull the handle, and the dice would roll out, and you'd get to choose. You'd, you'd get to choose: Do I roll three attack dice and one defense, or do I roll three defense and one attack? And I tell you what, this comes back to what I was saying before, is that, oh, it just made everything too complicated and you were thinking too much. And it was just, it actually got boring, right? Because in VR, you you just want things to keep moving forward. Um, And then we had these abilities. So we had the dice rolling and then we had the card play. And we found that when people played it, they just, uh, you know, they just, it just kept throwing them out of the game. They just, it wasn't, 
it, it just wasn't good fun, really, uh, which seems really counterintuitive because obviously when you're playing a tabletop game with your friends, you, that complexity is actually the fu- one of the fun bits, you know, rifling through the rule books and working out all the different probabilities for this, that and the other. But in VR, when you're in there on your own, it's just too much. So, And that's how the evolution of the cards took place. So the cards ended up um, being a combination of the dice and the cards. So when you play a card now, it just has the uh, the cost on it of, of how much energy cost that you're going to play to use it um, and, uh, and and does it that way. And, and we've taken the dice rolling out of the, the attacks and the defenses and all the, the special effects. The only place where we do include the dice is where you have to do skill checks. Um, so when you have to do an action, like at the beginning of the game, you have to secure like the cannon on the ship and some various other activities. Um, and you hold the card over the activity, and that's the only time that you roll dice. Um, so yeah, so I guess that's that's the evolution of it. It's it's been a, a long, <laughs> a long arduous journey to to make the game streamlined and fun. Okay. Um, yeah. And the actual cards, the actual mechanics within the cards. How have you found mm. designing those? Was it done by the actual real cards? Did you actually? Because I'm just wondering about balance and to making sure that you don't create a card like, oh, this nukes everything. <laughs> what, what did you do? How have you found balancing yeah. these things? Well, that comes down to it. We've got a, a, a guy who works for us, Clinton Shepard. He's been working with Timan Games for years. Um, and he he's, he loves designing board games. He, he actually makes his own physical ones. Um, and he's very knowledgeable on the, the meta required of a board game to be balanced and fair and yes look you didn't get it right first time <laughs> and i think there were some cards and some abilities that were a bit op um but uh he you know over time he just kept tweaking and tweaking and tweaking um and eventually it all kind of fell into place um and i actually think the balance of the game is pretty good like i'm i'm, I'm really pleased with the balance um so yeah, so it's just it's iteration, it's design iteration, it's what you do. Okay. You know, you just keep chipping away at it, really. And right. you know, and he's very talented, and he has a kind of third eye for these things. So, um, yeah. So I'm going to go back on to the action points. So, what this question here is a bit. I've read it a couple of times. It's a bit technical. I'm going to read it out to you, and then we can explain some part components of it. Because I've realised I've used terminology which some of the listeners might not be familiar with. Um, so action point economy is key to the combat engagements. How do you manage the, the, the how do you manage the decision space uh, players have? So basically, what I'm saying there is that the player is confronted with a character with a full bar of of a full series of pips for their action points on their on their on their character. Mm. And how mm. do you manage their you know, give them the, the you give them options. You go, you've got options to do this thing, but how do you narrow it without point, getting to a point where they don't have any decision to make? There's only one proper course of action versus they have a variety of courses of action. Some of them are going to be better than others. The latter is what you want, uh, but how do you prevent the the former? So, are you are you talking about the skill checks or just the combat? No. Stuff? So, like... what I'm talking about is that the actual broader sort of or take a step back even further and saying mm. i have a character they've got all their action points what do i do and you've got and, yeah. and they've got all the so tell us how have you managed that to prevent analysis paralysis basically sitting going oh so much choice or alternatively i have no choice this is the best course of action well i think this comes back down to what i was saying earlier on in that the game is constantly we <laughs> We, we actually have simplified down the whole, uh, you know, decision-making. So, oh, it's, but having said that, it is quite, you know, it, there is complexity there. But the important thing, again, coming back to VR, VR is it's, it, you need, people need to be able to see what they want to do quite quickly. And I think once you've played a couple of encounters of Table of Tales and you see the next encounter load up and you see your abilities and you kind of know that, oh, my favourite spell that i like to cast with nuna cost me three energy pips um you kind of you know you kind of start learning this stuff really quickly and you can start to play out these situations um 
And again, you know, that was all designed by iteration. Sometimes we had to just play test and play test until we we kind of found the right um, combination of, of energy expenditure versus success and all those kinds of things. Um, so, yeah, so I guess, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think Maybe. really it's just, you're right. You, you the, 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 the action economy is very, very important and it sort of gives you an idea of like, Look, you can unleash the void of death on onto this group, and that's fine. But how does that? What would that end? How would that uh, help the uh, the fighters in the midst of it all? Does you know? Because you can have friendly fire uh, if you're not careful. Uh, you can. <laughs> you can actually drop a card by accident on the wrong square and, and cause that as well, which is yes. I think quite amusing. Yeah, it kind of makes it feel physical, right? Yeah, so. oh yeah, it does. I, mean, I like the fact that you can extend a little bauble on the end of your wand. Yeah, the extendo ones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. doesn't. You know, it's interesting. I found it out by accident. Like, what happens when I use the, hit the move button? Oh, <laughs> that's handy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah was, well, we yeah. it was like a little funny Easter egg, and we just kind of kept it in there. So yeah, yeah, it's not actually told you at all. I just did it by accident. Like, that makes my life slightly easier. Because <laughs> uh, the amount of times I'll pick up and then I'll go, oh, hang on, oh God, it's fallen off. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah. But no, it's it's just the thing about action point economy and uh, decision space. This is all board game mm. terminology. Uh, and it's what, uh, you know, you want to grant the the, the uh, player some options and therefore grant them a um, sense of uh, engagement and uh, agency in the game yeah they're actually yeah. they're making a difference and they're making a, a, a change to the game the experience yeah. and therefore if you plonk them down and they say oh uh, i'll either fight this thing or fight this thing oh okay that's bad what you want to do is like well do you want to fight them or do you want to move in a better position uh <laughs> so the next time you come around to you you're in a, you're in a, better, you're in a better tactical position to actually take yeah. do you do more damage that's what you want that's the sweet spot yeah um, yeah the, the other thing as well i think just to add in here as well is that when you're playing a tabletop rpg or board game with your mates on a friday night you've got a cup you've got some beers on the go you're chatting about something that happened at work this week and you're kind of catching up socially and then you suddenly all of a sudden having to make a decision about what to do in the next part of the game you don't have that when you're in VR. <laughs> VR, it's very lonely. And so, um, you know, you, you can't, we have to kind of uh, keep things worrying along in a different way. And, and that decision making has to, has to be designed in a way that suits the experience that you're in. Um, uh, so, I, you know, for example, I don't think Table of Tales would work very well as a real board game with, the, with that particular rule set. Um, if you sort of mean so, so yeah, 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 no, I agree. It's uh, it's it's too limited. Uh, it wouldn't it wouldn't work. And I'm not being negative here. It's just, you keep on stressing the fact the fact that VR is quite exhausting. Um, it's quite tiring for a long period of time. And you know, some games deal with it different ways. I keep on thinking back to when you said about how. Um, uh, you have to deal with VR in such a different way and everything has to keep moving and you have to keep the um, player engaged but not too engaged and have to be in an environment that's relatively comfortable. Um, games that sort of counter this or in- embrace this, I do not know, is uh, Super Hot is a game. Yeah, does, yeah, yeah. Does Great a really game. good job. And uh, Beat yeah, Saber yeah. as well is, is like... Yeah, yeah. Th- th- these two really sort of uh, uh, sort of demonstrate that VR can be exhaustive, and both uh, mentally and physically, if you're playing Beat Saber. So, <laughs> so um, last question then. And we've already talked about this a lot, but I want you to address it directly now. Is the Table of Tales Crooked Crown plays like a board game, but without the mess? Mm. How? Mm. Uh, which, uh, which, where, where's the line? If there is a line, might be a sort of a blurred sort of thing. Where have you drawn inspiration from tabletop? And where have you drawn inspiration from video games or the medium of video games? Or is it, in mm. this case, virtual reality? And where, where have you found, what, what's the thing you've drawn from and which, which bits do you think work for one uh, uh, medium versus the other? It's a tough question. 
Wow. Um, uh, it's very, like, when we first started working on Table of Tales, we knew that we were doing something that we didn't think anybody had done before. Um, and I still believe that, you know, it, there are other, obviously, digital board games out there, and there are some VR kind of, you know, board game simulator and various things, you know. But to to uh, basically sh- throw on the video gameness onto a digital board game in virtual reality, I think it's a, it's a bit of a first. Um, so inspiration-wise, on a video game point of view, there wasn't that much, really. Um, obviously, you know, we'd been, we'd made the Warlock of Firetop Mountain, which was our um, sort of uh, strange sort of board game homage to the fighting fantasy book from 1982. And we had the board game pieces drop in and you had the little miniature bouncing around and then the combats were these little sort of like simultaneous turn-based sequences. Um, So we kind of, it was almost like an evolution from that, really. It was like, well, what would happen if, if we could take that into VR and, 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 you know, bring that to life. And the more we discussed this, the more we realized that we had to, we had to rely on the magic of video games, which is basically giving you an experience of something that feels familiar, like say driving a car, but is able to put you into a situation which you would never experience, you know, like playing burnout or something, right? You don't get burnout when you go driving down the road to get a pint of milk. One would hope not. Um, no, I'd hope not too. <laughs> um, and the thing is with tabletop RPGs, there's this, there's an expectation of, of what's expected. And I think, um, especially when you've got sort of digital tabletop, pseudo tabletop gaming experiences, and so we, I think that's, we wanted that the mantra was that we need to make it. This is why I come back to my original thing, Jumanji, right? In Jumanji, they open up a board game and all of a sudden you've got elephants and rhinos crashing through the wall. Um, and look, we didn't end up with elephants and rhinos crashing through the wall, sadly. But we did uh, as much as we could do within that kind of, with with that in mind. So you know, having the actual table come to life, the table actually has, a, it almost feels like it has a heartbeat at times. Like when those scenes form and move move and switch, shift to the other and water come disappears and falls and you've got this bird flying around who's obviously, she's very much tied to the, the table. Um, she's the soul of the table. Um, that's something you could never do in real life. That's not That's not a thing that you can do on a Friday night with your friends when you want to play D&D. Um, I remember when I used to play D&D in my teens, I used to play, uh, try and play atmospheric music in the background as I was reading out, you know, descriptions of the encounter that the players are about to enter. And I think Table of Tales is kind of that on acid. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's that it's, it's, it's basically just trying to, sh- to show trying to, to, to take that experience into a, a new, and that's where the video game inspiration comes from because in digital video games you can do all that and more um so yeah and i think uh, from the inspiration from the tabletop side if you're looking at that you know we played a lot of games like um descent and um uh a few of those kind of uh uh tabletop games where you build up the the dungeon in front of you and you have your party and you all have to work together to complete little missions we played a lot of those kinds of games um, and obviously drew up on our D experience and various other things so i think every single board game has probably been an inspiration in table of tales in that way so um so yeah i think that answers your question no, in a very does. roundabout way no it does mm. uh, i think the there's actually a crossover between video games into board games in the, in the physical space, as you know. You mentioned Descent. Well, Descent now has an app that makes playing Descent yeah. way better. Um, there, there's also XCOM, the board game, which actually has requires you to use an app to to to, to play it. Um, there's there's also um, uh, do you know Sirenscape? Are you familiar with this? No, I don't know that. Sirenscape is uh, another Australian developer, I believe. Uh, but mm. they make a soundboard for role players 
uh, for, okay. the, for, for GMs to basically, as things happen, they just hit a thing on, on, on an app and they hit a button and then it, it emits sounds and and things as yeah. people are playing. So it's a, it's a, rather than just a, a sort of a, a, a non-interactive sound um, sort of like sort of a, a score, a music score, it actually is an interactive sound thing. So it enhances the experience. It's really good fun. Uh, mm. really, they did a really good job of that, and it's it's just this, this whole thing uh, reminds me of that sort of crossover between the two mediums. But they're still ultimately games. It's, whether yeah. it's in you know, a pen and paper or uh, a video game, it's still ultimately it's just, we're talking about games here, everyone. And uh, yeah. so yes, Table of Tales: yeah. Crooked Crown is out now on PlayStation VR. Yes. It is. Yes. And, yes. Oh yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's okay. I'll just. Start. I mean, are there any plans to any other platforms? Or is that it? Is that, is that it? Um, we are exclusive on PlayStation VR. That's Indeed all I can say. Indeed, you are. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it would be lovely to play that game on other platforms. I, I can. That's all I'm. That's all I can say. I would yes, love to play yeah. it on other platforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, sure. Uh, but uh, anyway, no, it's fantastic on the PSVR. I can't. Uh, uh, it, it really, really works very, very well indeed. Especially if you've got a move controller, which uh, yes. uh, rose hen's teeth these days. <laughs> People are buying them up like I had seven of them. I've, 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 yeah. I've, I've sold a few now, but I had seven for um, um, uh, Johann Sebastian Joust. Which is a oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah of course you do <laughs> everyone has their own tactics to play that game but yeah <laughs> anyway but don't, don't play it with small children because it gets a bit awkward anyway <laughs> so, um, Neil it's been fantastic having you on no worries thanks for having me again yeah. again <laughs> now at this point I always say you're more welcome to come back but you've done this already so well done but uh, thank you no it would be great to have you back on maybe chat about the Warhammer game that would be a good idea yeah when, so when I'll probably I'll tell you a bit more about it then as well yeah, well, I'd like to think so if it's out after you know when we're chatting about it so uh, yeah, yeah let's do that let's park that park your return visit for them but until then thank you very much bye bye